You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Have you ever thought of something here? And that is that we notice from the gospel narratives who Jesus is by listening to witnesses that tell who he is. In other words, we see Jesus through the eyes of witnesses in the early gospel narratives. It starts with the Holy Family. Mary, by surprise, is encountered by the angel Gabriel. He's named. And Gabriel says to her, you will conceive in your womb and a son will be born of the Holy Spirit and he will be son of the Most High and you will name him Jesus. That's the beginning. Then, about the same time, Matthew tells us that Joseph, who's engaged to Mary, has a dream also. And an angel says to him, uh, don't be afraid to take Mary as your betrothed. She is a child. She's great with child and of the Holy Spirit. And you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Notice we're learning who Jesus is through these witnesses. In this case, two angels. Then the shepherds. The shepherds are keeping watch over their flocks at night. They're the next to to notice. They're actually, the word is guard. They're guarding their sheep at night. And suddenly an angel appears to them. This angel is not named. But this angel appears to them. And they're, they're frightened. And he says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of a great joy to all people. Now suddenly it becomes universal. All people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now we meet the great messianic phrase for who Christ is from this angel. And the shepherds then hear a chorus sing this great. By the way, it says the angel was joined by a multitude of heavenly hosts. Uh, host, the word host there really is the word soldiers. Heavenly soldiers. That's the Greek word. Heavenly soldiers. It's a great army chorus. And they then sing the first Christmas carol to these shepherds. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Goodwill toward men, women. This is the good decision of God. And they hear this. Then they go, they're told to go to Bethlehem. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And they go with their sheep, probably eight or nine sheep. Who knows how many sheep they have. But aren't you glad that Mary and Joseph couldn't find a place in the inn to stay? Uh, Wouldn't it be bad if the shepherds had to go to room 304 to find the holy family? They were put in a stable. Just the right place for the birth of of Jesus. Just the right place for these first visitors. They were chosen by God to be visitors. Because every birth needs to have visitors who attest to it. And who give witness to it. And these shepherds get to play that role. And when they meet Mary and Joseph, this baby, they tell Mary what they heard. And Luke tells us that when Mary heard from the shepherds, their witness about what they had heard... It comforted her, and she pondered these things in her heart. Now, eight days later, there's another thing that happens. Jesus is taken to the temple to be circumcised on the eighth day of his life. 
That fulfills tradition. And there's a man named Simeon there. You heard the text read by Jim. Simeon is there. He is he has received a blessing from God that he would not die until he sees the Lord's Messiah. And when he sees this baby and he lifts the baby, Jesus, and he blesses Jesus and says, now I can depart for my eyes have seen the Messiah, the Christ, who is the Savior. He tells that. He gives us one more piece of evidence as to who Jesus is. But that's not all. There's a woman in the temple named Anna. She's 84 years old. She's identified by her age. 84 years old and she sees the child and she also lifts this child and blesses the child and we get one more word she thanks God that she has now seen the redeemer redeem is the Greek word for set free the one who sets us free she saw that still not finished Matthew tells us that foreign visitors came they're called magi they're probably Nebataeans. They've come because they realize that a, from a star that a king is being born in the Holy Land in Jerusalem. And when they come, they see this young king and they honor him as king. They even give gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh to this holy family. So there's another witness. They're the ones that tell the family, we have come to see a king and now we've seen him. Now fast forward to Luke, the third chapter. All of these things are in the early chapters, Matthew and Luke. Now we move to the third chapter and we get another date. By the way, chapter two of Luke dates the shepherds. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. That was a taxation when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Dates the birth of Christ to when Caesar Augustus was Caesar. But now move to the third chapter of Luke, and he starts this way. In the 15th year of the reign of the emperor Tiberius, we know a lot about Roman emperors of the first century. This is the emperor that followed Augustus, was Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. Fifteen years after the beginning of Tiberius' reign is the, is the date 29 in the Christian era. So now we have the date of when Jesus began his ministry. That means he's in his early 30s, 29 is the date. And there we meet John the Baptist. There's the most famous of all the witnesses. John the Baptist is at the River Jordan baptizing. He baptizes Jesus. He's the one who says, I baptize with water, but one follows me. I'm not worthy to untie his shoelace. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. And in John's gospel, he actually uses the great words and says, he is the son of God. He points to Jesus. And... This is another witness. Notice, we're learning who Christ is. We're learning who this baby is who was born just three days ago that we celebrated. He is all these things. But there's one more witness you need to meet. It's a witness from darkness. It's a witness from an outlandish and outrageous place. It's the devil. He is going to bear witness to Jesus too. And now you meet him in his witness in the fourth chapter of Luke. So open up if you want to follow the text. It's Luke chapter 4, right after the John the Baptist incident, now chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, 
returned from Jordan. That's the river Jordan where he was with John the Baptist. And he was led by the spirit in the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all at all during those days. And when they were over, he was very hungry, famished. And then the devil speaks to him. There are three temptations we're going to meet. Before we meet the temptations, we need to ask a word about temptation itself. What is temptation? That's what we're going to, we're going to have a witness to Christ through temptation in the way he's tempted. A temptation is a, the Greek word for temptation is pareo, peril. We get the English word peril from it. We use it every time we say the Lord's Prayer. Forgive, lead us not into temptation, peril. It's a strange kind of peril. It's the peril, it's an odd sort of peril. It is the peril or danger that happens when a person is persuaded either by a dare or by a promise. Usually those are the two ways we're tempted, by a dare or a promise to make a choice. We make the choice. And that by my own choice, I bring harm upon myself or others. So the harm that happens is not because somebody pulled out a gun and shot me, but because I was tempted to pull out a gun and do the wrong thing. So temptation is peril that happens when I'm tempted, when I'm promised either by dare or by promise to make a choice that in the end is harmful. And that's what's happening now to Jesus. He is going to be tempted by the evil one, tempted by the devil. And he's going to face three temptations. The first one has to do with his hunger. Notice the text. Uh, he was famished. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, notice this is a dare. If you are, but notice he's paying tribute to him too. He's the one who uses the phrase son of God. If you are the son of God, Command this stone to become a loaf of bread. I have to do another uh, word correction here. The King James Bible used the word command, and so the Revised Standard Version also uses the word command. That's not the word in Greek. There is a Greek word for command. That's not the word used here. Here, the simple word logos is used. So the proper tra translation, and if you read the Jerusalem Bible, they give you the proper translation. It's this. If you are the son of God, just say it, and the rocks will become bread. You don't have to command. Command means that you have to urgently command the rock. No, you don't have to command the rock. Just say it. Just say it. See how subtle it is? Just say it, and the rocks will become bread. That's the temptation. Just say it. Uh, by the way, that temptation recognizes that Jesus Christ has power. It's a temptation concerning his power, his authority. Uh, if you're the son of God, just say it and the rocks will become bread. Here's how Jesus answers that, that temptation. He answers it by saying, it is written, and now he quotes from Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter. The scene that he's quoting from is where the children of Israel were brought up across the, uh, you know, they had the great uh, rescue out of Egypt, but now they're out in the wilderness themselves, and they're beginning to starve. And in fact, they're complaining. They say to Moses, what did you do, bring us out here in the wilderness to starve? <laughs> and we don't have any food. And they are starving. And God took pity on them. And he, because of their pitiful state, and he gave them manna, which they had every day that kept them alive. But then when they got the manna, 
he gave him this word. He said, I'm giving you this to keep you alive, but you should remember that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of the Lord. In other words, my authority, it's my authority that's giving you, it's my kindness that's giving you this bread. So our Lord decides to quote the last line from that text to the devil. So he says, if you're the son of God, command, in other words, say it, say it to the stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. In other words, I'm going to trust the Lord for who I am, not you. So that's how Jesus answers that temptation. All right. Two, the second temptation. The second temptation, the devil leads him up and shows him in an instant all the kingdoms. By the way, plural is used here, which means the territories, the territorial kingdoms, all the kingdoms, territories of the world. And the devil said to him, to you, I will give their glory and all this authority for it has been given over to me and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, by the way, that's not the word for worship that's used ordinarily for worship. It means to do obeisance. If you will bow to me is probably the better translation. If you will bow to me, it will be yours. Okay, that's the second temptation. Jesus answers him. The answer of Jesus is very interesting because he does, he ignores the outrageous and extravagant promise. Notice he was not tempted by daring. He's tempted by a promise, almost like Faust. I'm being tempted by a promise from the devil. I can, I own all the kingdoms of this world and I can give them to you. By the way, that's a lie. He doesn't have the kingdoms of the world. It's outlandish. And we learn that later in the New in the New Testament, but he doesn't have that. He says he has it, but he doesn't. Uh, by the way, this is a good lesson to learn in your own economic planning. When you have a deal offered to you by somebody that says, I can guarantee you 74% interest on this uh, deal that we've got. And you say to your wife, you know, it sounds too good to be true, folks. It is. <laughs> when something sounds too good to be true, it's probably not true. <laughs> And the devil is making this outlandish promise, but notice our Lord. He ignores the promise completely. He doesn't make fun of the promise. He doesn't say, you don't have that promise. You don't have that power. He doesn't do it. He could, but he doesn't. Instead, he simply says this to that second temptation. He says to the second temptation, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve only him. That's the biggie. All right. Third temptation. The third temptation is the most subtle. Here, the devil, maybe he's learning. He's a, a tempter who's learning lessons. And the first two dares, and the dare and the first promise didn't work. So he now decides to quote a text from the Bible itself and a great text. It's Psalm 91. It's a messianic text. It's a text that shows how tenderly God cares for his servant. And he cares tenderly for his servant and will protect him. So he quotes from that. He now took Jesus to Jerusalem, placed him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, notice he's always paying tribute to him as the son of God. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. On their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. 
That's Psalm 91. Wow, what a, what a promise. How tenderly God cares for his servant. And Jesus answered him. Here he gives the swiftest and simplest answer. He says, do not tempt the Lord. Okay. By the way, the last line is interesting. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. By the way, you know what the word diabolos means? Diabolos is the word used here for devil. There's several words used for the devil in the New Testament. The evil one, uh, that's Tuponaru. The uh, Satan, uh, the devil, Diabolus, the tempter. Uh, Diabolus is a combined word in Greek. Bolus means uh, uh, spear by itself. And as a verb, it means to throw the spear, like to spear someone. And that would be bolus. Dia means to continually spear somebody. <laughs> to continually throw the javelin at someone. And I, in light of the last line, it's interesting because diabolus, that's why diabolus is usually translated as slanderer. The devil is the slanderer. He's the one who continually is throwing the arrow. He's throwing the arrow trying to hit you somehow. Trying to tempt you somehow. And so it's interesting, the last line says he departed for a more opportune time. He has more arrows to throw, but not now. Jesus has won the first test. Uh, you know, I'm grateful for this witness uh, from the darkness, this witness from the devil uh, to who Christ is. Because in different ways, all through all these witnesses, we've learned who he is. We've learned who Christ is. And on the first, uh, the last Sunday of, of this year, we need to learn who he is because we just celebrated his birth. You need to know who you just celebrated. And we have learned who he is uh, from Simeon, that he is the Savior and the, the Christ. From Anna, that he's the Redeemer. From the, uh, the Magi, that he's a king. We need to know that. And now from the devil, even, we learn who Jesus is. We know from the way he's tempted and how he answers the temptations. Let's take the first temptation. In the first temptation, Jesus is, is tempted to use his power to take care of himself, to turn rock miraculously into mysterious uh, supernatural food. Jesus rejects it. And as a matter of fact, we know from our Lord's life that he'll get hungry like everybody else gets hungry. He's going to eat like everyone else eats. And in fact... One of the seven last words of our Lord on the cross is when Jesus says, I thirst. He's going to get thirsty like everyone. He's not going to be miraculously given water on the cross. He's not going to be miraculously given bread. Now, he has the power to multiply the bread. And he did it with 5,000 people on the Lake of Galilee. And he took a boy's lunch, not rocks, but a boy's lunch of barley loaves and some fish and multiplied them. I think it was a miracle. But he did it for others. He healed people for others. He had the power to do it, and he did it, but not for himself. In fact, Jesus Christ is son of God and son of man. He will identify with us. He'll get hungry like we get hungry, and he'll get thirsty like we get thirsty. So he is not going to be uh, the kind of... Uh, phantom Christ who creates phantom food for himself. He is going to 
identify with us. And so he rejects the temptation that would cause him not to identify with us when he turns rocks into bread. In fact, you know something curious? The first great heresy of the early church, the first false doctrine of the early church was not a doctrine that denied the deity of Christ. Hold your breath, folks. It was the doctrine that denied the humanity of Christ. In 1 John, we hear it. John says, test the spirits to see if they're of God. Every spirit that says that Christ came in the flesh is of God. But every spirit or everyone that says he did not come in the flesh is not of God. That was the first great heresy, the Docetus heresy, which wanted a phantom Jesus, loved the idea of a divine Jesus, but not a human Jesus who would sweat and die and face death on the cross. So Jesus rejects that temptation. So we know that Jesus Christ, son of God, he's son of man. Secondly, the kingdoms. Jesus shows no interest in territories. In fact, I think prophetic movements, Christian prophetic movements need to remember that. The kingdom of God in the New Testament is not territory. It's a relationship with the king. It's relationship. It's knowing the king who redeems and sets you free. And out of love, you respond to him. It's not territory. Jesus is not interested in territory. And that becomes very clear. He does not take away our freedom, which territorial promise is what the devil is offering. It would take away your freedom, and then you would become territorially dominated in an empire that dominates you. And there's a lot of that in religion today, not from Jesus Christ. He is not interested in that. C.S. Lewis saw that and put it in screw tape letters. In an interesting way, he pointed out uh, in one of the letters, he has the devil speaking this, Screwtape saying this, but notice how Screwtape sees this. He says, you, mu you must have wondered why, the, by, why God, the enemy, does not use his power more with us. But now you see that the irresistible and the indisputable are the two weapons which the very nature of his scheme forbids him to use. Merely to override a human will, which would happen if he turned rocks into bread. To override a human will... Uh, would be for him useless. He cannot ravish. He can only woo. To cancel them, to assimilate them, people will not serve his goal. And Lewis saw this because he, he learned it from our Lord's resisting that temptation to turn rock into bread. No, he's not going to, he's not going to overwhelm your senses and take away your freedom. He wants you to have a relationship with him, but you'll do it out of your free choice. One of the great promises of the gospel is, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him. Notice, opens the door. We get to open the door. He comes in and sups with us. No, Jesus Christ resists that temptation. And then the third, he's a Lord of life. And the devil is tempting him about that. He's saying, you're the Lord of life. Therefore, if you jump off this pinnacle, the angels will collect you, will gather you up before you hit rocks. Because God has so much tender care for you. But we know from the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, we sang it in the hymn, a song of Bethlehem today. We sang it, that Jesus Christ will not conquer death by uh, evaporating it. He will go through the valley of the shadow of death like we go through the valley of the shadow of death. He will face death and will disarm it by taking it. And that's the cross. 
No one expected this. Uh, the devil is predicting that it shouldn't happen, that if the angels should pick him up. Our Lord's own disciples tempted him that way, said, no, it'll never happen to you. And Jesus, Jesus has to reject their temptation too. No, he goes by way of the valley of the shadow. He faces death and takes it. So notice what we've learned about Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. He is the one who saves us. And he does it through uh, identifying with us and going through the valley of the shadow of death, which we face. He has power. He has the power. That's why he can be tempted. Have you ever thought of the fact that you can't be tempted if you don't have power? You have to have some power in order to be tempted. Uh, you, may, you know, think of some uh, bunch of gangsters that want to shave points off a basketball tournament that's going to happen because they go to Las Vegas and gamble. And the way they gamble on tournaments is gamble on the point spread. So they want you to have so many points and they go to a guy and the gangster now goes to the guy on the team and says, I want you to miss three three throws uh, strategically. I'll give you the signal when you miss the three throw since nobody can control that. And maybe a three-point shot. I'd like to have you miss a few three-point shots, use up the time on the clock so that we can shave the points because that's what we're gambling on the only problem is the gangster's not a well-trained tempter and he goes to a guy who happens to be the team announcer and says i want you to shave points and the problem said yeah i'll give you a hundred dollars thanks for the hundred dollars but the only problem is he's a bad temp he's a bad tempter because the guy's only the team announcer i don't ever if i was a forward i'd get up to the line and i could do it i can't do it i don't have that kind of power so that's not really a temptation he's not in the game he can't play that role so he's not tempted jesus was tempted because he had the power he has the power to multiply the bread he has the power to heal the power to to save and that's why he can be tempted and he chooses to resist that temptation to not be uh, alongside of us so he is son of God and son of man. So he is the redeemer. He sets us free. He's the savior. And he's the one who gives us life. And now we're back to the shepherds in the field. When the angels sang the first carol, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. That's the word you don't for salvation. Peace, salvation to everyone. It's the good decision of God. His good decision. Heavenly Father, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the Jesus Christ of Christmas. Thank you for all these witnesses that help us to understand who he is. Even this witness from darkness, which plays its own role in helping us to discover the lordship of Christ, the goodness of Christ, and his life in our behalf. Now bless us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.